you know, I think big blue chip equities, gold and land or and cash. I think I think I would go to war with those four assets. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with fund manager and currency analyst Brent Johnson. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Brent, in which he explains why he warns that despite the ongoing trillions in stimulus being issued and the resulting wave of higher inflation, the dollar has potential to strengthen substantially from here, catching markets by surprise. Then head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Brent and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to support this channel by liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. These two tiny costless steps only take you a few seconds and they really do help us out because when you take them, YouTube will share this video more, reaching more people and helping us attract more big name guests to come on this program in the future. Okay, now that you've liked and subscribed, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Brent Johnson. For those who are trying to protect the purchasing power of their wealth, let, let's make that their, their main objective here, because I do think that's most of the people who are watching these videos. Um, you know, what they want to know is, is okay, so what, what, are asset, what are assets that should preserve purchasing power better than any of the fiat currencies, dollar yeah. or other, otherwise? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to your concerns about kind of when it's really going to matter, you know, do you feel like we are, you know, some people say we're in the last inning of the end game. You know, some people think, oh, this is going to get drawn out for way more years than we think. I, I'd, I'd like to get a, a general gut sense yeah. from you as to when this is all going to really matter. And again, what, what, what asset classes do you think are favorable ones for preserving wealth as we continue on this trajectory? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, the really simple answer here is to own gold. Like everybody needs to own gold. Um, I think a lot of times when people hear me talk about the dollar is going to go higher, and maybe even that makes gold go lower in the short term. I'm a big, huge gold advocate, and everybody needs to gold in their portfolio. And in five or 10 years, I think gold will be multiples higher than it is today. So I think that's where you start. The other thing I would say is, you know, owning land, some kind of a productive land that you can, because gold doesn't pay an interest rate, right? That doesn't mean you shouldn't own it, but it doesn't produce any yield. But land, Maybe, you, maybe it's a farmland and you can grow crops on it, or maybe it's an apartment complex and it generates you income. Um, and so the underlying can increase in value, but it can also pr produce a yield for you. So I think land is a good way to do it. I think everybody should just have some cash. And I know it doesn't pay you anything. And I know that, you know, you can say I'm losing purchasing power on it, but you know what? It gives you great optionality. And if we have a debt of move because of move lower in prices because of some kind of a debt spiral like we had last year, cash allows you to go in and buy prized assets when nobody else can do it because they don't have any cash. Um, it also will keep you from making bad decisions. Let's say that let's say that you you if you if you have all your money, just as an example, if you have all your money in gold, and then for whatever reason we have a short-term liquidity problem. And gold falls three hundred dollars, but now you have to pay your mortgage. You have to sell some of your gold to pay that mortgage. You don't want to sell your gold, but you have to, right? And so, if you had some cash in addition to your gold, you could use that cash to get through that liquidity crisis or that that downturn, and hold on to your prized asset, which is your gold or your land or whatever it is. And then finally, I think people should own big blue chip U.S. equities. 
which I know <laughs> with these prices, people think that that's crazy. Um, I think in the short term, let's call it in the next six months, maybe in the, I think in the next six months that we will have a 10 or 20% correction in equities. Um, so I wouldn't say don't go all in on equities right now, but I think people should have exposure to equities. And if we get that 10 or 20% pullback, and if you don't want to buy them now, but we do get that pullback, then I would, I would recommend, or I would suggest that people should own large US blue chip equities because at the end of the, these big companies, they own real assets, right? A lot of times people think if you own an equity, it's just paper, but it's not. These com- you're, you're buying a piece of equity in a company that owns real assets and, and produces real yields. So I think, uh, you know, I think big blue chip equities, gold and land or, and cash, I think, I think I would go to war with those four assets. All right. That's great. That's exactly the type of specificity that folks are, are looking for here. Um, uh, so if I can just recap for folks, that's gold, uh, that's productive land, or land, but productive land, if possible, uh, have a cash uh, war chest, if you will. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe just part of a diversification um, yeah. position, but also to be there to deploy. If there is indeed a correction, you're estimating that maybe there's going to be a 10 to 20% one here. We've had some folks on that go a lot higher than that, but you know, sure. whatever, the, the logic is still the same, which is have some dry powder to deploy. And then um, have, you know, own some big U.S. equities. I'm assuming U.S. equities because they're dollar denominated and you're assuming that the mm-hmm. dollar is going to outperform other currencies over time. And then by, by owning them, you know, you're owning a share in uh, an entity that owns real things that you might not be able to own yourself, you know, factories, mines, you know, that type of stuff. That's right. Okay, great, great. I noticed you didn't have uh, cryptocurrencies in there. I uh, didn't necessarily expect you to, but you mentioned sort of your how, how much of a point of interest they yeah. were at the conference that you were at. Do you have an opinion one way or the other on them? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I want to like them really badly. Like there's a big part of me inside that really wants to embrace them. Um, but I'm, I'm just skeptical of them. I don't think they, well, I shouldn't say I don't think I, I think that Bitcoin is probably not going away. Um, I do think the governments are going to push back on its existence. Um, it doesn't mean that they're going to outlaw it. It doesn't mean that they're going to ban it, but I don't think that Bitcoin is taking over as the global reserve currency. And I think that, you know, governments around the world, I don't think any government wants to give away the power of their currency, uh, their, their power to issue their own currency. So I don't think that it's going to become the global reserve currency. Um, and I think governments will do things to limit its use if it ever starts to threaten their own currencies. Now, that doesn't mean that's not a fantastic speculation. You know, I could see owning, you know, a couple percent, five percent in the portfolio, as long as you understand the, the um you know, the implications and the risks and all that stuff involved. Um, I think that right now, I, I, I own Bitcoin for years. I've sold most of it. Um, I think that there's a real problem in, in, in the cryptocurrency world right now as a result of Tether. And I know people have heard me talk about this before. Um, Tether is a US dollar stable coin, which kind of permeates the entire crypto ecosystem. And I am of the belief that Tether is a complete scam, um, for lack of a better word. And so as a result, I think when that is found out to not be as pristine as many people think it is, I think that will have negative implications for the entire ecosystem. So if we get a big pullback as a result of that, that I may go buy more, more Bitcoin at that time. 
All right, great. And just to give uh, credit to Grant Williams, I think if anybody is looking for a good explanation of the risks of, of tether, the the allegations that uh, that Brent just mentioned, uh, Grant Williams did an excellent uh, podcast series on that. Yeah. I see you nodding here. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, j- just just one last point on on, on cryptocurrencies. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot of opinions in this space. Um, a lot that's still going to be proved out only by time. But um, uh, one of the questions that comes up an awful lot is sort of what you just talked about, which is uh, the government hates competition, especially when it comes to the money supply. And, and I will say, I'll admit to a surprise I had when the cryptocurrencies first came onto the scene and were allowed to remain on the scene was, I mean, I remember stories of guys you know, in their garages minting a couple of silver rounds and trying to call it, you know, yeah currency and, and yeah. you know the feds would show up on their house the next day and yeah. put them in jail right i mean the, yeah. the government would quash anything that remotely even smelled of competition um so for whatever reason and we can pontificate why um the, the cryptos have been allowed to um thrive as best they can um but once there is a digital dollar you know once these cbdc's aren't theories anymore and and they're real replacement currencies for the paper fiat um do you think that they will make it so, they may not outlaw but they may make it so painful to hold other forms of cryptocurrency for that reason of just trying to crush anything that smells of competition? Sure, you can invest in Bitcoin or hold it, but if it ever tries to see the light of day, you know, we're going to apply just a hugely confiscatory tax to it. I, I think that's entirely possible. In fact, I would say that, you know, it's like, I, don't, I think governments like innovation and people making money because they, they get taxed, right? But anytime you actually start to threaten the government's monopoly, they're going to push back. And the idea that they have no tools that they can push back with, I think, is completely flawed. I think uh, I think governments are very good at protecting their monopoly, and they will do whatever they can to protect that. Um, the other thing I would say is, I think a lot of people don't know this, is that, you know, the as, as the push towards CBDCs gets closer, you know, there's more regulations and more legislation that, that's springing up around this. And there's, there's this proposed legislation going around Congress now. And again, it's not a law yet and it's not been put forth yet, but you, know, you can see the sample language in there. And, and, and it literally says in there that once a you know, quote unquote Fed coin has been issued or a, C, you know, a Fed CBDC, Fed CBDC has been issued. At that point, anyone else operating a fiat stablecoin has to apply for a license from the Treasury of the Secretary of the Treasury. And the Secretary of the Treasury gets to decide who gets a license and who doesn't. You know, so I mean it's right there in black and white. Now, again, it's not a law yet, it doesn't mean it will pass, but they're already circling the wagon. But it shows where they're thinking, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so to think that they're not aware of this and that they have no way to counteract it is, again, just don't be, don't be naive, I guess, right? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to go out and sell all your Bitcoin and it's not a great, uh, you know, environment or a great ecosystem into which, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you have these ideas of ways to improve things, you know, absolutely. But just don't put all your eggs in one basket on it. All right, great. So um, last question, um, you know, a lot of people watching this video are, we talked earlier about sort of, you're trying to give a simple answer, even though there's a lot of complexity, you know, sort of tangled underneath it. Um, I think I use the term cross currents, you know, there's just so yeah. much going on right now. Um, 
most of the people who I think are watching these videos, again, are just trying to be good stewards of the wealth that they've been working so hard um, to, to build up to create a financial future for themselves and their family. Um, a lot of the people that I talk to on this program, you know, do say that this is one of the most treacherous times in their professional history for protecting wealth um, when they, you know, look look at things going forward. Um, do you just have any sort of general advice to to these people that are just trying not to become roadkill um, in in these you know huge cross currents that are going on? Yeah, I, I think what I would say is that well, I'd say a couple things. Um, the first thing I would say is that this is a time of great uncertainty. And, and, and I, people have heard me talk about the book, The Fourth Turning. The Fourth Turning, that book probably had more impact on my overall thinking than any book that I've ever written, read. And so I may have mentioned it on this program before, or people may have heard me talk about it. It's become more popular in the last couple of years. So um, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. If you have read it, I would encourage you to read it again. But the point I would make is that I think there's a lot of people who, who read this book and think that, okay, we're in the fourth turning, but it's all going to end tomorrow and the spring is going to be next week. And I just don't think that's the case. I think while we've had some annoyances and some discomfort, we haven't had the real pain yet, right? It hasn't really come to a really, really bad situation. And these fourth turnings, these are, you know, the, the, for people who aren't familiar, the four turnings are you have the spring, you have the summer, you have the fall, and then you have the winter. And I kind of feel like we're in the fall, maybe moving into the winter, or maybe we've just entered the winter, but I certainly don't think we're at the end of the winter getting ready to enter the spring. So I think you know, the, the, these turnings, they sometimes take 20 or 30 years to go through. And I just feel like, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot of pain ahead. And these fourth turnings are incredibly uncertain times. Lots of crazy things happen. So the point is, is for people to be so certain in such an uncertain time, I find to be a little, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me, right? I think you need to be uncertain and I think you need to be prepared for everything. So, so, so go, don't go all in on whatever it is that you think that you, <laughs> that you think is going to happen. Be prepared for it, you know, plan for it, have contingency plans. But don't, I would encourage people not to go all in on one thing. That'd be the first thing. The second thing I would say is, 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 is if, if you are not good at finance or if you're not good at money or if you know, this topic makes you uncomfortable or worried, then find somebody who can help you do it. Because if you're worried or stressed or if you're uncomfortable, then you're going to make bad decisions. And this is, this is just unfortunately not an area of your life where you can afford to make bad decisions. So, so, you know, be really, really honest with yourself. You know, if you're a really good trader, then great. But if you're not a good trader, then don't be trading with your money in this environment. You know, know what you're good at, know what you're not. And if you're, if you're not good at something, find help. All right. Th those were great, great words of advice. And I feel like I, I kind of owe you some sort of kickback here because uh, you have uh, just laid the two great foundations. Um, one is you... Uh, You've actually mentioned now several of the different interviews that we've done. Um, I, I am actually going to be interviewing Neil Howe in about three weeks, oh. who's one of the co-authors of The Fourth Turning. Yes. So yes. folks, in addition to getting the book, um, stay tuned for, for that video. Um, you also mentioned our interview with um, 
Lacey Hunt, which uh, is an excellent video. It actually just passed 100,000 views, which shows that you know other people agree with you that it's a great presentation. And folks, if you're watching and haven't watched that yet, you really do need to go go yeah. watch that. Um, just go to Wealthion's YouTube channel; you'll find it there. Uh, and then third. Uh, uh, just a couple hours ago, um, I just released a video on uh, investing in farmland. Um, so you mentioned that that farmland yeah. was one of the kind of key yeah. assets that you thought would be, uh, you know, would survive what's coming pretty well. So folks, if you have any interest in, in considering farmland, definitely watch that video. It's, it's a great um, sort of high level uh, introduction to all the factors that come into play when you need to you need to consider when you're investing in farmland. Um, all right. So uh, so uh, you said uh, don't go all in. Um, and then you also said on any one given strategy, right? Don't put all your eggs into the same basket. And then secondly, basically what I heard you say is find a professional guide if you find yourself anxious or overwhelmed by this. And, and I couldn't agree more. And that's actually a huge reason why Wealthion exists is we try to bring the brain trust of experts like you to kind of educate people about what's going on. And then we try to connect them with professional financial advisors who understand these risks and are basically, you know, bringing them into their portfolio strategies. And, you know, most people, as you know, even at the best of times, they've got real lives, real jobs. They don't really have the bandwidth to, you know, be watching their financial basket of eggs very closely. But in crazy times like this, you, you know, if you don't feel like you're, you've got the chops to do it yourself, you really owe it to yourself to work with somebody who you feel that, that you can trust who, who does take all this stuff into account. All right. Well, with, with that, Brent, Thank you so much for all your time here. It's been a great discussion. For folks that have, have really enjoyed your insights, where can they go to, to follow you and find out more about you? Uh, well, you know, I, I do a number of these podcasts. I've been on your show a number of times, so I would encourage people to you know search your history and look for the previous ones. Um, I'm, uh, I'm pretty uh, active on Twitter. Uh, pretty active on Twitter, yeah. Pretty active on Twitter. Um, you can search Santiago Capital or you can, the, my handle is Santiago AU Fund. Um, you know, I think if you also go to YouTube and type in my name and Santiago Capital or, or type in Milkshake Theory, which again is just so silly, but the, the, the reality is, is you will get a ton of links that, you know, talk about, you know, how I see things playing out. Um, and then I, I always tell people I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have people email me. Uh, it's my, my email is brent at santiagocapital.com. I try to respond to everybody. I'm not always successful. Sometimes I do these and I, 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 I put that out there and then I get a million emails and I just can't get to them all. But I, I do my best to get back to people. Um, and so, you know, I'm happy to help if I can. Great. Thanks. You're a courageous man to put your email address out there. We will put the uh, the URLs for your handle and your email up okay. on the screen when we edit this. Um, well, again, Brent, I can't thank you enough. Uh, ben, as usual, a wonderful discussion. Uh, really hope we can have you back on later in the year when the picture of 2021 gets a little bit clearer from here. Um, but in the interim, uh, best of luck on managing the capital that you're a steward of. And um, again, just uh, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Happy to be here. Thanks again. All right. And as we do every week, uh, we are going to now talk to the lead partners at New Harbor Financial, the financial advisory firm endorsed by Wealthion, to get a sense for what the markets have been up to since last week. Um, John and Mike, great to see you guys here again today. Great presentation from Brent. And uh, I thought he really teed you guys up well this week. Uh, not only did his four assets to go to war with, I think generally mesh pretty well with uh, how you guys are allocating your portfolio. But he also really underscored the importance of working with a professional guide to try to navigate these crazy markets that we're in. Um, but what did you guys think? John, I'll, let's start with you. 
Yeah, I, I thought Brent was uh, very, very insightful. I, I loved a couple of themes that he touched upon. First and foremost, uh, you know, one that we we try really hard to uh, instill in our psyche every day because it's critically important for the jobs we're in. He talked about, um, you know, his concerns really, and and uh, that everybody, no matter their view, seems so certain about their view, whether they're stock bulls, stock bears, Bitcoin or crypto bulls. Um, that speaks to a, a lack of humility or, or and, and we try really hard to, as much as we're grounded in data, we try to allow for um, things that we just don't know about. Um, you know, for example, we, we do believe it's a horrible time to be in stocks, but we're not at all willing to say that the stock market can't go much higher in the short term, even if it's um, for no good reason other than craziness. Um, so we think that's an important part. The other thing is, um, I think his his big picture, uh, you know, the currency markets are very very complex, and there was a big, you know, obviously he's a, a very authoritative voice on that, and it just gives I, I think it gives you know our viewers a, a glimpse as to you know yeah Mike and I and our team at New Harbor we spend our days talking about really ground level things with our clients as it relates to their lives, but to understand or try to understand the landscape that we're navigating with our clients and we need to understand or try to understand and digest a whole lot of stuff, including things like the currency markets that, that Brent talked about. So it just speaks to a lot of the homework we need to do pretty much around the clock to, to feel like we're, um, we're um, suiting our clients and, and doing the job that they need us to do for them. I'm sure Mike has more to, to add from those comments. Mike, feel yeah, free sure to chime in there and then I'll, I've got a couple of questions I wanna to toss to both of you. I guess I'd like to just add a few, a few words. You know, uh, you know, Brent basically said, don't go all in, don't be certain. It's true. I mean, we nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. I think that we can probably say that we know pretty much for sure mathematically that the stock market is horrendously overvalued based on any historical comparison. But nobody knows for sure what's going to happen next. If the stock market's going to go higher first, then collapse, or if it's going to start going down tomorrow morning, or if it's going to stay right where it is for the next year or two and then fluctuate. But it, what we do know is that the stock market is, has really never been more of a value than it is now. That in itself is quite a risk. And if you couple that with the other things we're seeing, like over euphoric sentiment and lack of leadership, very narrow participation, the technical picture, picture is really, really dangerous. Uh, we probably have some uh, you know, disagreements uh, about some things, like he doesn't really see a large drop you know, maybe 10 or 20%, who knows for sure. <laughs> but the market should have a drop larger than that based on how hostile the set of conditions is. Who knows when it will happen? And like John said, we don't really want to predict it because we can't predict it for sure. But the conditions are right for something much more dangerous. And we think that it's, um, you know, it's, it's important to get that, that idea out there too. And um, as far as his allocation, I think we'll get into that a little bit more in, in our discussion. We actually agree with how, how he's allocated by and large. Our allocation is pretty similar to that in, in conservative. So I'll stop there for now. All right. Well, you know, you, uh, you touched on um, the extreme valuations that we're currently seeing in the markets. And I do just want to note a couple of milestones that, that we hit this week. One was that the S&P yesterday briefly hit 4,500. And for longtime viewers of this channel, that is what uh, David Hunter uh, was predicting uh, in his earlier interviews with us uh, back early in the year, um, right around the turn of the year, 
um, when the S&P was uh, back down, still in the, the, I don't know, probably 3,700 range or so. It was a bold call back then, uh, but kudos to him. Uh, he was correct. Now, just to be clear, he has since upped his target. Uh, I think his latest target is now 5,000, S&P 5,000 at a minimum, uh, which is a bit gut-wrenching for those of us that are having a hard time stomaching how high and how fast these markets are moving upwards. Um, but I got to give him credit uh, that the initial bold prediction um, was hit yesterday. Uh, and along with it, um, I think the day before, um, just as a, a classic example of the type of extreme excess that you expect to see uh, in a, at the tail end of a market mania, uh, an NFT of a clip art image of a rock sold for 400 ether which at the price of ether uh, comes out to about 1.3 million dollars so um we just literally had a digital image um i'll put it up here on the screen doesn't look like anything special folks uh just sold for 1.3 million dollars so um we are seeing a lot of the type of um you know excess again like i said that you, you see at the tail end of a uh, a crazy um euphoria in the market you know when, when people look back in the future after a correction and tell their stories about everybody should have seen this coming. I think this NFT rock uh, is a pretty good example of that. So, um, uh, John, I think you had a, a chart that you wanted to show that there was another example of, again, sort of some of the excesses that we're seeing right now, uh, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'd, ha I'd be happy. I'd first like to quickly comment on, you know, David Hunter has been, you know, uh, remarkably, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, you know, accurate in some of his calls. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I would hope for him to be and anybody in our seat to be humble because those calls are easy to uh, whiff as much as they are to harder harder to make right than it is to whiff. Um, you know, but just, just just to full circle his his call on the stock market. Yeah, he's raised his equity target to about five thousand on the S and P, which is about an eleven point one percent further advance from where we are right now. But then he also called for an eighty percent subsequent decline. If, if, if one were to ride up that 11% upward move, but then get stuck in the 80% downdraft, that would still be a negative 78% decline. So, uh, you know, when you consider that, that scenario, that full cycle scenario, it's almost like why bother trying to roll the dice on that little bit of uh, upside if in fact the other side, which data would support is actually quite likely, is going to so wipe that out and then so much more. That, that's just... The kind of perspective that we always need to inject into these, you know, bold calls for targets because you know we're we're working for clients that they're talking about their lives. They're talking about the next 20, 30, 40 years, right? They can't afford to to make such a wager. And we're here to help them kind of put those kind of you know bold and bombacious calls, I might even say, uh, into check as how it relates to their their life and the risk that they're truly taking by you know hook, line, and sinker following, you know, kind of trying to follow those calls. But yeah, the, the chart I, sh I share with you, Adam, was just, um, you know, we, we can put this, file this in the, all the kinds of things you'd want to see near a bubble top. And, and the one that I share with you is, is a, a chart that shows the uh, issuance of um, equities by, by companies, um, issuance of stock by companies. And, and for a lot of good reasons that are too nuanced to get into this conversation right now, we, we eliminate uh, financial companies because of, you know, they're not truly kind of the measure of the economic picture. But so this, these are issuance by non-financial companies. And you'll see that the, the, the uh, amount of stock issuance is off the charts. The only time it's ever been even remotely close, uh, it was at the very pinnacle of the tech bubble. 
And, and the quick, you know, I think interpretation of this is if, if I was a corporate CFO and I needed to, you know, think about my stock and the price of where that stock is in the market, man, wouldn't I love to sell it to a bunch of bag holders at a very high level of the market, knowing that I can always buy back my shares later on a, on a big decline. That is one, I think, very appropriate way to look at this is that, you know, corporate CFOs are saying, hey, this is a great time to sell high our stock. Uh, and, and if we need to, we can buy it back later. Just another data point. All right, uh, that's an excellent point. Um, are they selling out to the patsies? Uh, and if they are, and you're one of those folks going up there and, and gobbling out a lot of the recent issuances, uh, does that mean that you're the patsy sitting there at the poker table? Um, time will tell, but um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about reasons why that, that may be the case here, that the, the, the late coming retail investor here, um, the one that's snapping up all the mean stocks, et cetera, um, they very well may be the, uh, the greatest fool who buys right before this all drops. Um, well, real quick, I just want to touch upon inflation. Um, you know, Brent uh, talked uh, you know, about really at the end of the day, nobody can say for sure whether this is going to go down the inflationary or deflationary route, but I think he leans more towards uh, Lacey Hunt and the deflationary side of the camp. I just want to put up this chart here, though, of... Um, uh, hot rolled coil uh, steel futures. Um, this is an example of inflation that is just running rampant with no signs yet of abating. Um, this chart shows that uh, coiled steel futures have gone up from around 475 by the end of December, uh, and they've just gone up every single week since uh, now trading at around 1935. Um, you know, the, 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 the Fed is beginning to feel some pressure. I think from the public where um, you know cost of living is and uh, on all the essentials is going up oftentimes double digit year over year at this point. And one of the things that could happen in the relatively near term is that the Fed is forced to start tightening. And of course, there's a lot of talk right now that the Fed um, you know, is, is talking a lot about tapering. Uh, we've got uh, the upcoming Jackson Hole meeting and uh, who knows, you know, they, they might be giving us a timeline to start tapering there. Um, this kind of inflation is something that could force the Fed's hand. And of course, uh, if that happens, this is such a Fed-driven market. That could be one of the shoes that drops that actually really starts uh, things moving here and potentially could be, uh, you know, for those looking for sort of a downward um, correction in the markets, this could be one of those triggers. Um, also kind of on the, the trigger landscape is, um, you know, oftentimes black swans, they're called black swans because you don't imagine them before they actually materialize. And I think the world has been caught uh, by surprise in terms of how quickly things have deteriorated uh, in Afghanistan as the U.S. Uh, has pulled out of there. Um, the day we're talking here, just about an hour or two ago, very sadly, uh, there were twin explosions uh, at the Kabul airport. It uh, looks like there's a number of fatalities. Um, uh, that's something that I think is just sort of adding geopolitical risk uh, into the equation in a way that folks didn't appreciate. At the same time, we've got Labor Day coming up soon, and that's when uh, all of the special emergency unemployment uh, insurance benefit payments uh, that have been going out to millions and millions of American households for the past year plus are scheduled to expire. Um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about people uh, you know, companies not being able to hire workers because people have felt they're making enough money at home with these 
these stimulus checks that they don't want to go out and, and work for jobs. Uh, that could be something that all of a sudden um, places a lot of pressure on American households. So there just seems to be a lot more potential pins swirling here that could pop the market bubble. Um, Mike, what are you seeing? Are, are you beginning to see some potential risks uh, that, that the market might want to shift to risk off here? Absolutely, Adam. I mean, you know, this is a market that's priced perfect for perfection and nobody knows what the black swan is going to be or what the trigger is going to be. We don't even need a trigger actually to have a sell off. Uh, you mentioned Afghanistan. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, unfortunate attack there. Um, I was just scanning the news and it looks like it's maybe up to a uh, dozen uh, U.S. casualties. Who knows? Data is just still coming in. I don't, that type of thing doesn't generally set off a bear market, you know, maybe a short-term hiccup, but there's just so many geopolitical risks and inflation risks and all kinds of things. Asset bubbles don't really need a, a you know, a major reason to, uh, to collapse. So yeah, we've been seeing, we've been seeing a lot of things for a long, long time. John talked earlier about the, you know, the record issuance of stocks, you know, looking at that chart, Companies have been issuing stocks for almost two years relentlessly and the market's ground higher. Uh, participation has been very bad relentlessly for like the last year, at least, if not more. We're only about five stocks have been driving this market. Volume has been bad. Um, you know, market sentiment and euphoria has been, uh, uh, you know, has been a warning sign for at least that long. And yet everything's ground higher. This, this bubble, this, this bull market is, is breathtaking. So yeah, it's not going to take much. It really won't take much. Take a look at the, the Dow transports. They've been rolling over for a long time. I mentioned last week, the Dow was below where it was on May 10th. It has since retaken that level. So now it's back a little above there. But it would only take one, like one good down day in the market, as measured by a lot of these indices like the Dow, would take back many months of progress. That's what happens in a fragile market. So yeah, we're seeing plenty of reasons to be concerned. I think that Brent agreed with that overall. And, um, you know, we, we, are, we are aligned very similarly with heavy cash, some gold, um, you know, a little bit of equity, but very little, around 10% net or so for most people. And uh, we remain patient, ever so patient for a better opportunity to increase that exposure. All right. And just to uh, to look at what's been happening with cash and, and with gold, um, the dollar continues to creep up here. Uh, it's back above 93. Um, so for those that were going through Brent's checklist there, you know, the dollar is uh, indeed continuing to strengthen, at least here in the short term. And gold is remaining uh, hanging in there around the 1800 mark. You know, as we talked about last week, it had gotten uh, sort of double whacked uh, in very short order. Uh, and it has now made up all of that Um ground that it had lost and is now actually a little bit higher than when uh, the the flash crash and the, the the payroll dip before that had hit. So it's showing some nice strength here. Um, and, uh, you know, in a day like today where there's a lot of negative news in the market, and we've been talking about the, the bombing in, in Afghanistan, uh, pretty much everything is down, except the only thing that's really green on my screen right now, uh, besides volatility, is gold. Um, so, John, anyways, look, I'll let you have the last word in wrapping things up here. Um, what, uh, what do you think that the, today's investors who've watched this video who are, you know, really wrestling with, okay, you know, how do I protect myself here? Uh, what should they take away from this conversation? Yep. Well, uh, again, to reiterate what Mike already said, we, we, uh, we were in broad agreement with, with Brent's kind of suggested uh, 
asset allocation or, or places to be. I want to I want to highlight um, his his comments about cash because they very much uh, echo or, or resonate with our views. Um, cash is not the place to be forever, but there are times where it is a great place to be, even if inflation is is ticking up because other assets aren't necessarily any better and can actually be far worse than cash. Like for example, stocks. We we, we keep saying this, and I'll say it again. Stocks, when they're vastly overpriced like they are now, uh, by any historical measure, have usually been one of the first, first casualties when inflation picks up. So cash has actually historically been a better place than stocks during that first phase of inflation. But he hit the nail on the head, which is the way we see it. Cash is, it provides optionality. It provides flexibility to divert into some of those other key assets that you do want to own when they're priced appropriately. Real estate, blue chip stocks precious metals, you name it. I mean, cash is the ultimate um, converter into other assets when the prices justify to go there. So, so yeah, for, for most folks, I would, I would uh, emphasize in a uh, period of uncertainty, which is one of the broad themes that we think we're in and, and Brent certainly echoed, um, could be uncertainty about the economy, could be uncertainty about, you know, where COVID is going and what that means to people's jobs or, you know, I'm sure restaurant owners and, and other folks like that are, you know, probably a bit nervous and right, rightfully so about, you know, no matter what you think about, you know, where the COVID trend is going. So, so flexibility, uh, humility, um, you know, prepare, preparing for uncertainty is, is a really important thing. So, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of things I can say about what that means, but I think I can say pretty broadly and, and confidently that a fully invested stock and bond portfolio is not at all the place to be with what 100% of your assets or even a large portion of your assets, in our opinion, for that period of uncertainty and volatility that most people would agree, no matter their views, is upon us. And I guess I would just leave it at that. Great. Well, really well said, John. And um, another thing that I just want to close by agreeing with Brent on is the um, wisdom of working with a professional uh, in guiding you through this very uh, challenging, obscure, uncertain time. Um, if you are at all um, nervous, anxious, uh, feeling overwhelmed, don't have the time to be a full-time uh, and really focused manager um, and steward of your wealth, um, because as we've talked about through this entire interview, um, there are just uh, unprecedented risks circulating out there right now. And if you're a newer viewer and don't know this, um, if, you've, you know, if you've got a great uh, financial professional advising already, great, stick with them. They literally are worth their weight in gold. Uh, but if you don't, or you'd like to hear the counsel of a financial professional that does understand, appreciate, and take into mind all of the risks and factors that we've talked about today with Brent, uh, with John and Mike, uh, John and Mike and the team at their firm, New Harbor Financial, they offer uh, free, no commitment, no strings attached, um, personal financial consultations. You can just call them, have a conversation with them, explain you know, what your goals are. They can look at where your current financial situation is and they'll just give you their best advice. You don't have to work with them. They're literally just trying to help as many people as possible get well positioned in advance of some of the uh, volatility and uh, the potential uh, downside that they see ahead in the markets. So if you're interested in that at all, stick around to the end of the video. It's coming up in just a couple seconds. We tell you how to do that. And it only takes you a, a moment to, uh, to schedule one of those co uh, consultations. And uh, just to help us out as we wrap up here, folks, if you haven't yet, please like 
this video and then subscribe to it by clicking that button below and the little bell icon right next to it. That really does help us out to find out who is coming on this program next and to suggest guest experts you'd like to see here. Follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. I read everybody's suggestions there. And uh, whatever happens next in the markets, uh, nobody knows with exactitude, but we will be tracking it with detail focus here. John and Mike, um, I look forward to seeing you guys here next week. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you next week. Until next week, Adam. Thanks very much. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.